0: Hey, uh, welcome to ACF Church. Uh, if you are new here, my name is Brian i 'm one of the pastors here we 're so glad that you're with us this snowy morning man it is here we are it 's wintertime brushing the cars off of snow. Some of you are excited about that That's awesome, good, good. keep the spirits high maybe it 's just because you got some extra rest today i don't know but uh, anyway, uh, we are glad that you're here with us we're glad to have a warm place uh, just to gather together and if you're new here, we just hope that uh, this can be a place for you to wrestle out your your faith and your doubts and 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 uh, everything that you've come through to get you to this point in life uh, with us together, and so we just came out of a pretty heavy series. Um, if you've been around, we went through uh, three weeks called High Voltage, talking about God's view on sex, and some of you um, are glad that we're done. You're just like, let's just move on, and others of you want to just keep going, and I've heard from both uh, types of people that, man, this, this really is a conversation that needs to continue. Three weeks is not enough. Um, there's so much more to talk about, but hopefully it sparks some really good talks in your homes and in the car ride on the way home, but uh, we're moving forward here are excited about where we're going. Uh, Last week was great. We baptized 13 people. Praise God for that. It's so good. I love it. I love it. We didn't have that planned. We just felt like at the end of a series like that to give people a chance to get up and be baptized and give their life to Jesus would be a great thing. And so uh, 13 of you responded. So um, that is awesome. Really excited about that. Um, We are moving here into uh, this series called Outsiders in December. We're going to be in a series of talks called um, Fully Present. We're going to talk about how the rhythms of Jesus help us to be fully present in the moment and learn some of those in December. As things are crazy, uh, we're going to come into the church and learn how to... uh, uh, really slow down. And uh, be aware of what God is doing throughout all the, the, the holiday season. And then in January, uh, we're going to spend, I think it's seven weeks, going through a, a book together. Uh, and if you want to just get a head start, if you're that kind of studious person that loves to be ahead of the game, um, just go online and download a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by uh, Pete Scazzaro. Uh Great book. We're going to be spending uh, the first part of the year just going through that. Um, a, a, as we've talked as a staff and as a leadership team and as an elder board about where we're going, this year. Uh, Really, uh, the the theme has been, let's be healthy. Let's be healthy people. And we've realized that emotional health and spiritual health are tied at the hip. They're connected. And so uh, we're going to spend some time on that. You can read ahead if you'd like. And uh, so so today, uh, we are starting a new series of talks uh, called Outsiders. And uh, basically, the theme is this, that um, the journey that we've been on as, as humans is from being on the inside to going To the outside. And if you know sort of the beginning of the story in the garden, there's this beautiful picture of harmony between man and woman and God and this beautiful relationship and this beautiful place, and and it was good and it was perfect. And then uh, our relationship with God was fractured by sin. And and at that moment, man was cast out of the garden. There was this division between man and God. And and the story of the Bible is this loving Father, this loving God, constantly giving opportunities for those who have made themselves outsiders to become part of the family of God. And and it's a journey, and it's a process, and as you read the story of Israel, and you see this kind of, hey, we're going to obey God, we're going to follow God, God, uh, we're going to make you Lord of our lives, and then we're going to go over here, and we're going to try to live on our own, and we're going to try to live apart from you, we're going to worship these other things, and then God gives grace, and God gives opportunities, and then Israel steps back into favor with God, and there's this, this journey that humanity has always been on, of God saying, hey, come on in. I want a relationship with you. I want to be with you and us separating ourselves. And so we see this sort of played out in our own lives. And and most of us have stories that we can remember as kids where we were the outsider. Do you remember that? Or you showed up to a new school or a new place and you felt like you didn't fit in. Uh, Maybe you're at a job right now where everybody else seems to have relationships and you always feel like you're on the outside. And this is sort of a, it's part of what, what has happened through sin in the world, that we are always feeling like we're on the outside. Some of you have this feeling, even when you're around a lot of people, that if they truly knew who you were, they would never accept you. They'd never receive you. And so you even have this ability to be around lots and lots of people, but always to feel as if you're on the outside. And I ran across a quote this week uh, by um, Robin Williams. And he says this, he says, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. Isn't that true? I mean, really, I think we've all experienced that. For some people, that's the church. Some people come into church and they're around all these people and and you think, you look around, how can anybody feel at church like they are alone? And yet, um, because of your secrets, because of your journey, because of what you have going on in your life, you can be around a whole crowd of people every single week. And yet you feel like an outsider right in in your own church, in your own community. So we really believe that we look most like God when we welcome people into the family. That, that we really, that that's us living out um, our, our relationship with God in this community, being people who make outsiders insiders. That we are welcoming in those who feel like they don't fit, feel like they don't belong. And, and there's practical ways that we can do that. But we're going to go into a, a story today. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Philemon. Um, it may be a, a little letter that you've never read before. But we're going to spend the morning going through this story. And it's, it's really, it's, it's a small book. It's a small story with a ton of impact. They're just, really, we're going to hit the whole book today, but there's more uh, to talk about in here. But it's really, it's a story of grace. It's a story of generosity. It's a story of an outsider becoming an insider. It's a story of forgiveness. That's really what this is all about. And uh, Philemon is one of Paul's letters. It's called an epistle, one of his prison epistles. He, so he's in jail writing this letter to this man Philemon. And uh, we're going to learn a lot from what he says um, to him. And so could we just bow our heads and pray as we start off today? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the church. God, thank you for the 13 people last week who gave their lives to you and, and publicly said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. We pray your grace and your peace on them. Uh, God, we pray over our city and our community as we enter into this winter season. We know that depression is on the rise. We know that there's a lot of transition, a lot of people who are a long ways away from what feels like home in Alaska. We pray that um, we as a church uh, would be a space for people to call home. We pray that we would create uh, relationships that are life-giving and receiving. And uh, God, I pray for marriages, that you would protect us, help us to unify, to be open and honest, to get help when we need help. And God, I just pray as we enter into this conversation about outsiders and insiders, God, that we'd be the type of people who welcome others the way that you welcomed us first. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so, I don't know if you've ever um, had to write a reference letter um, I, over the years, I've been asked to write a few reference letters. I don't know if it's just sort of like the pastor's supposed to say good things, and so I should write, you know, have him write a le- reference letter. But normally, when you want a reference letter written, you you find somebody that's going to say good stuff about you, right? Uh, the friend whose mom, you know, really likes you. The boss that didn't fire you. You never go to the one that did, right? You go to the boss that never fired you, that you know gave you a couple raises and saw potential in you. You always find people to write reference letters who you know believe in you, who will say good things about you. Well, what's interesting about this particular letter is the book of Philemon, this letter is almost like a reference letter. You've got this man, Paul, writing a reference letter for a guy named Onesimus to a man named Philemon. And so there's three different characters that I just kind of want to get our heads wrapped around as we get into the story. So Paul himself in prison writing a letter, and while Paul is in prison, he encounters this man named Onesimus. And Onesimus becomes a a friend, a a partner in ministry. Essentially, Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus, and his life is transformed. And this guy just, he just grows like a weed. He just uh, expands and grows and and, and becomes a a real key part of Paul's ministry. And so you've got this guy Onesimus, and, and what he grows to find out is Onesimus is actually on the run. And he's actually run away uh, from his owner. So Paul is in Rome with Onesimus. Onesimus has actually run away from his owner um, in Colossae. Okay, so um, he figures this out and he finds out that there's sort of this bad blood. Um, this, this man Onesimus was a, was a slave. And he's actually done something to his owner, stolen something or done something to fracture that relationship. So because of that, he's on the run trying to protect himself. So Paul figures this out. He's like, I want to fix this. I want to see this be restored. And so he actually sends Onesimus back to his owner with this letter. Now his owner just happens to be a man named Philemon. So Paul is writing to Philemon, referencing Onesimus. Now here's the issue. Onesimus has done some, some stuff wrong, right? I mean, this is a reference letter for somebody who's really screwed things up big time. And so he's writing to Philemon. Well, here's the thing. He's got a relationship with Philemon as well. What we grow to find out is during Paul's missionary journeys when he's in Ephesus, he actually, at some point, is able to share the gospel with Philemon. So Philemon gets saved through Paul. Are you lost yet? Philemon saved through Paul. And and through that, he actually grows as well and becomes part of this this church plant in Colossae. And so he's got a a church in his house and he's helping uh, plant this local church. And so Paul's got this relationship with with both people. Have you ever been in that kind of situation before where you see two friends that are just destroying each other and you're like, I'm sort of in the middle of this trying to figure out what to do. Well, Paul is in the middle of this to some degree. He knows Philemon, this slave owner, and he also knows Onesimus, who was a former slave. And he's trying, to, he's trying to restore something here, to repair something here. And before we get too far into it, um, there's a few things that are really interesting that are going on here. Um, there's sort of an elephant in the room in this story. And, and that's, the first thing is, is slavery. Um, so for us, that word packs a lot of punch. We've got a lot of baggage, a lot of, uh, for us, we understand just the, 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 the atrocities of slavery that we've seen in the United States, and so we think of slavery. Now, here's kind of the awkward thing. Um, as he talks about Philemon, Philemon is a godly man, and yet he's a slave owner. And so we have to kind of look at this culturally that um, in this time, about a third of the population in Rome were actually slaves, lots and lots of slaves, and in this kind of evolution of slavery in the culture, it's kind of changed how it works. And at this point, what you need to understand about the slaves is that many of them were there because they wanted to be. So what you need to understand is that in this culture, there were, there were good slave owners and there were bad slave owners. There were good... So a bad slave owner, somebody who would abuse and, and uh, take captive his slaves... A good slave owner was a man or, or a family who would host a person in their home who would serve them almost like an indentured servant. They'd give them a job. They would educate them. They would give them food. They would give them a place to be. They could be a doctor. They could, uh, they could be a teacher. They could learn all kinds of different things. And in fact, many of them were given an opportunity to leave and they chose to stay. And so the term that we see in Scripture is, is this term bondservant. It's they've been given a chance to leave and they've, they've chosen to stay part of this family. And in fact, in many cases, this person who was formerly a slave, now a bond servant, was actually written into the will, given part of the inheritance. And so you see like there are these these terrible slave owners that it's probably like what you think when you think of slavery. Then over here you've got these these people who have people who work for them in the home, um, who they've cared for, given education to. And and for many of these these slaves, they've seen, you know what? Um, I would do better in this family than those who who have run free. I would actually have more opportunity to thrive and to, and to care for those who I love if I stay um, with this family. And so, so I just grab some context for this. Um, that that uh, this man Philemon is, is he's a good owner. He, he's a good master. And so, um, just kind of a different context in this situation. So, Onesimus has stolen something, done something to um, offend Philemon. And now, Paul is sending him back. He's not sending him back into slavery. He's not sending him back to uh, get a job. He's sending him back with this letter to restore what is broken in their relationship. And, And imagine this letter as Philemon opens the letter. So, Onesimus shows up, knocks on the door, hands him this letter, And when he sees the letter, he's probably really excited because there's this relationship between Philemon and Paul. Now, I don't know if you're a Christian here today and you can remember the person that first shared the gospel with you. There's a certain gratitude that you have for that person, right? Like a certain relationship that you have for somebody that was was willing to invest in you, to, to, to share Jesus with you. And so imagine him tearing this letter open, being very excited to hear from the man who shared the gospel with him. And it starts off, like this, in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Now, it's interesting that Paul starts off his letter by introducing himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Um, if, you, if you know much about the way that Paul typically introduces himself, he typically gives his office he says, I am Paul the Apostle. And then he just hammers down on the church, right? Uh, he lays into him. He's like, here's some things to change. Here's some problems. You guys are messing this up. Here's the ways of Jesus. And so he, he gives his authority, right? He asserts his authority as Paul the Apostle. In this situation, he starts off by saying, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Interesting. There's, a, there's already a different tone to this letter as he writes to his friend. You can tell this isn't a heavy-handed letter. He's not coming down on Philemon. These are delicate times in this relationship, so he's starting out sort of a delicate way. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm just a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and um, he says to my beloved fellow worker. In other words, I'm a partner with you. We're we're partners. I'm not coming down on you like your boss. I'm a fellow worker with you. And then he says, in in our sister, in Archippus, our fellow soldier, in the church, in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was kind of Paul's typical way of writing a letter. Grace and peace. Always coming back to grace. Always coming back to peace. These are things that he wants for people, wants for the church. Now, Aphia, our sister, Archippus, he's saying hi to Philemon's wife and his son. So this is like all of the introductions of a letter. Hey, say hi, say hi to the wife, you know, say hi to your, your son and grace and peace. And Oh, and say hi to the church that's in your house. So he realized a couple things about Philemon. Philemon is this man who's got some resources in the community. He's got this, this home, and he's got, a, he's got a, a church that's growing out of his home, and it's, it's just exploding. What's interesting is that Philemon wasn't like the, the, the pastor of the church. He's not the, the leader of the church. Maybe he didn't want to teach. Maybe he wasn't comfortable with that. Maybe that wasn't his call, but what he had was a house. He's like, he's like, I know what I can do for the kingdom. I've got a house. Um, anybody ever hosted a small group in your house? Anybody just raise your hand? So a few of you have done this. Um, we've done this every year we've been in, a, in Alaska. We've always had people in our home. If you have done this, you know the investment that you make into scotch-guarding your carpet. You know the investment that you make into cleaning things when it's done, into making brownies, into cookies, into fixing things. Some of you are like, I'm never going to host a small group. And that's fine, but under, like, that's, that's the reality of it, is that there will be an investment made. I remember our first night a few years ago, uh, hosting our small group. By the end of the night, um, somebody had puked in the corner. Um, we One of the kids, not one of the adults. They're like, what kind of small group are you... One of the children had puked in the corner, uh, we had like grape juice all over our carpet, um, there was like brownies ground in, and uh, if you know my wife, like this is a problem, this is a big problem for us, and so everybody left, you know, and we kind of did damage control, and you know, and we actually had them back another week, and it got better, but that's just sort of life having people in your house. This man, he's willing to have this church start in his home because he sees that, hey, I might not be a teacher, I might not be the one up front, but I do have a house. God's given me something to use for the kingdom in that sense. And so Paul is saying hello to all of them. Grace and peace, he says, to you from Jesus Christ. Verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, cool, Paul is so proud of this man. Um, He just wants to start off by telling him, I'm so proud of you. Uh, And and I don't know when the last time you ever, you you heard that was. That that somebody is just proud of you. I love that Paul leads off with, I'm just proud of you. You have refreshed the saints. In other words, you are investing in the people of God. You are building the kingdom. And, And I love that for Paul, he just takes joy in that. I don't know if you, as you look around, as you see people pouring their hearts out, you see people here today with the love all, serve all shirts on. I think if you're a believer in Jesus, you should see them and just take joy in that. Like, hey, I'm so glad that you're here serving, that you're refreshing the people of God, that you're serving those who are far from God as they come in, and they're just seeking answers for their lives, you know. This is a good thing. So Paul is encouraged by this man because he's he's so generous as he serves people. So the first thing I want you to write down is this. Philemon sees his possessions as implements for ministry. Philemon sees his possessions as implements for ministry. Whenever God gives you something, what you need to understand, whenever God hands you something, he's saying, praise me with it. Serve the church with it. Love people with it. Whenever God hands you something, he's handing you an implement, like a, like a tool. That's, that's what an implement is. It's like a tool. It's like a shovel, right? It's, a, it's an implement for digging holes in the ground. So for us, when God hands us anything, and, and for, for this man, it was a house. It was some resources. When God handed it to him, God's saying, praise me with it. Serve me with it. I've handed you an implement for ministry. And so this is what Philemon does. He sees that what he has, it's an implement for ministry. And, and what, you, what you just kind of catch is that it's not out of obligation. It's because he just is excited about this growing church in Colossae. And I, and I would imagine what's going on in his heart is he realizes how much he's been given. And so he's serving others. And for us, that's how it works. When we, when we realize how much we've been given, we become generous people. We realize that we're not self-made men and women. And, and already we see, once again, this man has been given the gospel by Paul. If Paul hadn't shared the gospel with him, he'd still be living the life that he was living. And so he's not a self-made man. He's a recipient, recipient of grace from somebody else. And I, I don't know if you've realized this. I've realized this in different ways throughout my life. Um, my, my grandfather passed away a few years ago. And uh, we went back to Maine, which is where he lived. And so we went through his stuff and kind of went to the house and started kind of clearing things out. And if you've ever had to do this, it's really emotional, um, going through somebody's things. And I remember going into his office and looking at all of these books and, and reading these things that he'd written years ago, and, and you know all his old files and old pictures and things like that. And, and, and I just remember vividly thinking, how much of me came from him? Like how much of who I am is a product of who this man was. And so as I'm digging through his stuff, I'm kind of like, it's almost like I'm digging through who I am. I'm digging through a part of my identity as I kind of learn from this this man and learn from where he's been and what he's done. And, you know, I open their Bibles, his Bible and my grandmother's Bible. And they're just stacked full of notes. and, and, And to read what they'd written down 50 years ago about letters like Philemon in their Bible. So cool, you know. But for me to think, man, I am a product of 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 them in many ways. I'm not a self-made man, and for us, that's what we realize: that that nothing that we have is from from us. It's all a gift from God, and so it's like what we use is it's it, when we use it. It's like us saying, God, I know that I'm ruined without you. I know that I can't do anything without you, apart from your grace. I have nothing. So, I, so I'm going to use my stuff as an implement for ministry. And this, this idea, uh, we see it all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, that this is a, this is a, a, a rhythm of God's people to use their things for ministry. We read this in verse uh, chapter 26, verse 1, says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And basically, what he's talking about is this, what's called a first fruit offering. That for them, they would grow things from the ground. That would be how they made a living. It would be how they fed their families. And before they ever got to the end of the season and could count it all up, right at the beginning, God said, hey, I want you to take the first and the best. I want you to bring it as a public offering to the priest. And so they would bring this public offering uh, to the priest as if to say, I am ruined without you, God. I can put seed in the ground. I can uh, develop this great farm and do my best to, to work it every single day, but I cannot make it rain. I cannot make these seeds grow. I am dependent on you for everything. And so instead of giving God what's left over at the end of the season, God said, hey, this is the rhythm that I want to put in your life that you would start off the season by giving to God before counting it all up. If you know anybody in the farming industry or anybody with a greenhouse, um, if you ask them near the beginning of the season, like, hey, how's it going this year? They're going to say the same thing. I'll tell you at the end of the season. I'll tell you once it's all counted up because then I really know how it's gone. And so it's the same for these people. They don't know how they're going to do. They don't know what's going to happen. It could be rainy. They could be a, a drought. So at the very beginning, God says, be generous to people. So let's, let's continue on here in, in verse 8 of Philemon. It says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required... Yet for love's sake, I prefer to, prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So Paul's leaning in at this point in the letter. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something, Philemon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something, and I could tell you what to do, but I don't want to. That's, that's essentially what he's saying. Like, I could lean in and say, I, Paul, the apostle, tell you what to do. Instead, he says, for love's sake, I want to appeal to you. Paul's going to ask Philemon to do something, but he doesn't want to just change this man's actions. He actually wants to see this man change his heart. And so he knows that you can't change people's hearts by forcing things on people. J- just like, you know, I can't get up here and be like, God says do this. God says lead a small group, you know. gonna be like, forget that. Go to a church that, you know, isn't so heavy-handed. I mean, you can't change people's hearts by trying to change their behavior. So Paul starts off by going, hey, I'm, I'm a prisoner I'm bold enough to tell you what to do. I'm not going to do that. For love's sake, I want to appeal to you. He says, I, Paul, an old man. He even brings up his age. He's like, I am Grandpa Paul at this point. I'm old and gray. I'm in jail. I just, like, if you've had somebody who's in that season of life, you know there's just so much wisdom to be drawn from people who are a few generations beyond you. And so he's kind of bringing up, hey, I'm just an old man, but I got some stuff to say to you. I want to encourage you in so verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So spiritual father. Uh, verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. It's interesting. Uh, it's sort of a play on words here that we might not catch is that Onesimus literally means useful. His name literally means useful. He's like, hey, this man was probably useless to you, like when he stole your stuff. You know, like that's not somebody that you want around, somebody who's real useful to you to serve you in your household. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent. You see, kind of like, a, almost like I'm submitting to you here. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Okay, so he's like, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And I'm not trying to force anything on you. And I would have loved to keep him with me. So this is a good reference, right? So Paul, the man that led him to Jesus, is saying, hey, the guy that's coming to your door, um, I would have liked to keep him with me because he's awesome. He's so helpful and he's growing and he's got the grace of Jesus all over him and he's serving and he's loving people and he would be really helpful to me, but I'm sending him to you. Verse 15, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. Listen to this. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is cool. So Paul's like, hey, I'm sending him back to you. And Philemon may be thinking, okay, why is he sending him back to me? Maybe to apologize. He's just going to make this right, and he's going to pay me back for what he owes me, right? Justice. Paul is sending this man back for justice. And then Paul just switches things up and is like, hey, I'm sending him back to you, not to be a slave, not to just be a, a bond servant, but, but I want you to receive him as a beloved brother. Now, what you need to understand is that this man is in a really bad situation, I mean, as as a slave who stole something from his master, you would have never gone back to see that man. The kind of person, you see them in the grocery store, you run, right? You get out of there because this person has the legal right to kill you. And so you don't want to see them, right, On on a Friday night. And so this man, Onesimus, has put himself out there at the mercy of Philemon. And Paul's like, hey, I don't want you just to forgive this man. I don't want you just to let it go. I want you to receive him as a brother. This was unheard of. Slaves weren't your brother. They were a slave. And yet Paul's like, no, no, this is, this is the kingdom of God, that, that we are brothers, we are sisters. And so you see the heart of God in all of this, not to, not to encourage slavery, but to, to build people up in, in, in mutual relationships. And he goes on in verse 17, So if you consider me your partner, receive him. As you would receive me, now that's a challenge, right? I mean, Paul keeps up in the ante. he's like, "I don't want you just to not kill him. I want you to receive this man as a brother, like part of your family, and not just even as a brother, as you would receive me. Now how would he have received Paul? Can you imagine? How would you receive the person that led you to the Lord that shared the gospel with you? You'd open the door, you would embrace them. You would bring them in, you'd make a great dinner for them, you'd set up a room for them, you would make sure that everything was taken care of them, because you're like, man, I'm so grateful for you, you poured into me, I really owe my life to you. So Paul's like, hey, whatever you think that you owed me, give it to this man, the one that stole from you, the one that did something that you feel like uh, has broken the relationship and the trust, and certainly it certainly It has. If you consider me a partner, I love that he uses the word partner. If you don't know uh, our church, we don't have membership. We have partnership. Um, you have memberships at Alaska Club and at Sam's Club. We do partnership at ACF Church because a partner is an investor. A partner is somebody who's like, I'm, I'm going to go on the rise with this thing, and I'm going to go down with the ship, right? If this thing all falls apart, I am going with it. So he's like, if you consider me a partner, you're going to invest in this. And it's the same way with the church. You're not really part of ACF Church until you invest in it. Am I right? I mean, you're not really part of anything until you invest in it. Uh, Until then, you're you're attending something, you show up to something, but you really become a partner when you invest in it. Paul's like, hey, if you consider me a partner, I want you to do something that doesn't make any sense. I want you to welcome in this man who has wronged you, has offended you, as a beloved brother in the Lord, because that's what you are. So, so challenging. And this is really like... I was thinking about it this way. So our family has a cabin. Um, our, my, my in-laws have a cabin in Wyoming. And I remember visiting the first time. We, we went up to this cabin. And, and when, you, when you show up at a cabin, you've got to get the, some things ready, get some doors unlocked, you know, get the water running. There's a lot of work to do. And I remember, like, they're kind of showing me around the first time. And, you know, I'm opening doors. And I walk out to this, this house, this well house outside. And there's some, like, beds in there and things. And I, I, I grab the handle, and it just opens right up. And I was like, hey, did you guys know that you left this unlocked? I mean, somebody could just get in here. And they're like, yeah, no, we always leave it unlocked. I'm like, why would you do that? They said, well, what happens up here is sometimes people get lost in the woods. And if they come come upon our cabin, we want to make sure that they're getting taken care of. And so we leave the door unlocked so they don't have to break a window or something. They can open the door. There's food in the refrigerator. There's beds. It's warm. And they get taken care of. I was like, that's really cool. And it's interesting, I, as I was thinking about that, that's kind of how people view the church, right? We, we kind of view the church like, hey, the door's always open, right? If you are wandering around lost, you can always come out. Maybe that's how you showed up today. Maybe you were just wandering around through life. You're struggling. You just were like, hey, that's a church. I'm going to go in there. I hear that all the time. And so for many people, that's, that's the end of things in terms of their mission. Like, we just, we keep the door unlocked, and if you want to come in, you can. And that's, that's our way of honoring God. What we see here in this story is a, is a totally different thing. We see Paul saying, hey, it's not enough just to leave the door open and let this man into your house. I actually want you to welcome him in as you would welcome me in. I want you to invite him in, give him a room, give him a place to be. And so for us as the church, we don't just hope that people walk in, we go out seeking for those who are lost. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He always sought out those who were the outsiders to bring them into the inside. And that's what we as the church. If we're going to be like Jesus, it's not just to leave the doors open. It's to welcome people in our community in like beloved brothers and beloved sisters and to welcome them into this family. And then Paul keeps going. He anties up even more in verse 18. He says, If he has wronged you at all, which of course he has, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And then in verse 19 he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Okay, so... Paul's like, all right, there's a rift in the relationship. Have you ever had somebody owe you money and not pay you back? Do you have an issue with that? Do you see them the same way? No, you never do again, right? When you see them, you don't want to talk to them. You're not sure how to bring it up. You know, hey, there's that five bucks that you owe me, you know, and it gets uncomfortable. Well, there's a big problem here. This man owes Philemon some stuff. And Paul simply says this, if he owes you anything, charge that on my account. I will repay it. Now, we don't know how much Paul owns for, like, how much money he has. What's interesting is he, it's like he doesn't really know how much he owes him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't tend to write blank checks to very many people. Paul essentially writes a blank check to this man Philemon saying, I don't know what he owes you. It may clean out my account. It may cost me everything. But whatever he owes you, I want you to, I want you to just take care of it. Take it out of my account. And then he says this interesting thing, I will repay it. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Literally, what you need to understand is this letter probably wasn't being actually written by Paul at this point. He probably had somebody writing the letter as he's speaking. This is pre-Siri, right? Pre-dictation app. Like Paul is speaking these words and there's somebody writing this down and then Paul's like, give me the pen, right? And he goes over and he goes, I will repay. I am writing this with my own hand. This is literally a legal document. Like Paul just signed the mortgage on this situation and says, I will pay all of this. So this man Philemon could have taken this letter to the officials and said, hey, listen, Paul said, he wrote it with his own hand. This is his handwriting, his signature. Paul himself said, I will pay this back. So this isn't like your, your buddy who's like, bro, can I borrow five bucks for Taco Bell? I'll pay you back. You know, like that's not what this is. This is a legal document saying, I will pay everything. It's almost as if Paul's like, hey, I know that money is, a, is an issue in this relationship. Money is keeping this person from, from coming into the inside, keeping this person on the outside. Let's just deal with the simple things. You almost get the feeling that, that Paul's like, hey, the easiest thing to repair in this relationship is the financial aspect. Like, let, let's just, because there are so many things bringing division between you, let's just get money out of the way so that we can deal with the real deep stuff. And, and isn't that the truth like around here? In, in in our community, like money can be a dividing factor. It can be something that tears people apart. It can also be a great tool to reach people with the gospel. So you see this man, Philemon, opening his house, using it to expand the ministry. You see Paul saying, hey, I've got some money. I want to make sure that I remove barriers from people experiencing this inclusion in this community, this forgiveness. And so I want to I just pay the bill so that you guys can hash this out. Because, I mean, just think about us as a church. There's a lot keeping people on the outside, isn't there? There's a lot keeping people from even coming to ACF Church. I mean, it's, hey, churches are judgmental. Christians are judgmental. You know, like, how do you reconcile science and God? I mean, there's, there's things that in their past that they experienced where they were wounded by somebody. There was, you know, some kind of deception in their church growing up. These are deep issues, are they not? Those are deep issues. There's other things, though, that are more practical things keeping people out of the church, like, I don't know if you know this, last week at 11 a.m., there were people that actually came to church that were then leaving because they just didn't have a seat to sit in. Now, for me, that's a problem. Like, I, I take that personally. And I don't know if you do, but I take that, that I take that personally. Like, we literally had one of our First Impression team members in the lobby trying to talk them into staying at church. And luckily they did, and we kind of found them. I think there were three families specifically that showed up and were like, hey, I don't know, there's nowhere to sit. For me, I'm like, I don't know where these people are at. I don't know what kind of hang-ups they have with the church, what kind of hang-ups they have with God, but them not having a seat is kind of a silly thing to keep them from hearing the gospel. Is that a problem for you? I mean, that's a problem for me. So uh, this is what you're seeing in Paul's letters. He's like, hey, money is breaking you guys apart. Let's just get rid of the silly stuff. And and this is so different. This doesn't make sense to most people outside of the church. Like, Like, no, money is the big stuff. Money is the driving force. Money is what makes the world go round. No, it's not. God is what makes the world go round. And so, once again, we see this, this different way of seeing the world. Paul's like, it's just it's money. God owns all of it. It all comes from him. So just use it to, to break walls down. And he goes on, he says this. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is cool. Paul's got some faith in Philemon, doesn't he? Paul, Paul feels like, I, do, I don't need to lean into you like your boss. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that there's, there's a brokenness in this relationship, and I'm going I'm to pay the bill, and I'm going to put faith in you that you're going to do what it takes to repair what is broken. Confident that you're going to do this. Verse 22, At the same time, <laughs> prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. That's cool. Pa- Paul's pretty like forward, isn't he? He's like, I want you to invite this guy in like a beloved brother. I know he owes you everything. Hey, I'll pay the bill. I want you to welcome him like you welcome me. Oh, and by the way, I might be showing up. So, so make a room for me. Get a bed ready. I don't know if you, have you, you have any forward friends who are like, bro, I'm staying at your house tonight. Like, this is Paul. He's, he's like, make a room for me. Make some food. Get ready. I'm hoping that I will be able to see you and be with you. You just sense that Paul is so bold about asking for things. He's not worried about it. He, he doesn't, he's not worried about, you know, asking for this guy's stuff or for his house or whatever because he knows that, hey, this all comes from God. This is, these are all implements for the ministry of God. I might need to come to you, need a place to stay. And this was common that people would come to town and, and people would open their homes. Um, so Paul would go from town to town doing ministry. He would need a home to stay in. So he's like, hey, I want to choose your home. I want to stay with you. And I just, I actually, I love the forwardness of Paul in the story. So this is kind of how it ends. You're like, that's the worst story ever. What happens, right? What happens in, in the end here? And I was wrestling with, I'm like, why is this letter in our Bible? Why do we have this? Why do we need this letter? Why is this? Because you're, you're, you're stuck hearing half of this conversation. You don't know what the interaction looked like. And I was, I was trying to figure out, why is that? And I felt like God just said to me, because you don't need to know. You see, it turns out that it doesn't matter what Philemon did, it matters what you do. That's why we don't need to know. That's why this letter's in our Bible. Because it paints a picture of a situation where somebody needs to be experiencing the grace of Jesus, where, where, where you have an opportunity to be generous in forgiveness, with with what you have to help somebody to come into the family. And and honestly, it doesn't matter what Philemon did. It doesn't matter what he chose to do. It matters what we choose to do. So what will you do? What will you do with a world that is stuck on the outside, with a, with a, a world full of people who are isolated, who feel like they don't have a family? Do you take that personally? Will you assume responsibility for that? Will you, will you do what you can to make outsiders insiders? Because that's who we are as the family of God. And the reason that we're those people is because God has first done that for us. This is the story of the church. You see, in all of the stories in Scripture where somebody's on the outside and somebody else is on the inside, we are the outsiders who come into the inside. We're never the holy, righteous people who always, you know, were supposed to be there. No, we were supposed to be on the outside. Because of what we've done and who we are. And yet Jesus in his grace brings us into the family when we deserved it the least. And so because of what Christ has done for us, that's, that's what we do. And so in this letter, in this story, Paul emerges as the Christ figure. Standing between Onesimus and Philemon. This fractured relationship and bringing them together. Isn't that what Christ has done for us? Standing between us and this holy, righteous God and us in our sins, saying, I will reunite what is broken. I will heal what is lost. I will pay the bill. Last thing you can write this down Jesus gave the life that was His to pay the bill that was ours. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He gave the life that was His to pay the bill that was ours. 2 Corinthians five, twenty-one says that, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's cool. Jesus, sinless, pure, perfect. Didn't know God anything. Part of the Trinity himself. He comes to earth, puts on the skin of humanity, takes our sin upon himself, and says, I will pay the bill that isn't mine. I will give the life that is. So this relationship will be restored. Now, we're going to go somewhere here today, and I don't know if you know what's been going on this past month, but um, we as a church, we've been praying about this. We've been praying about how we as a church can continue to remove barriers, continue to make a space for those who are yet to come. And and once again, we, we are seeing God blessing our church in some amazing ways, which means an opportunity for us. to to lean in and to say, hey, how can we be a part of making sure that that we remove barriers, that we do whatever it takes? How can we be Paul in this story, like Christ, making sure that people have a family to be a part of? Uh, If you would grab this card from your seat, um, this is uh, our next step card. And so if you weren't here uh, about four weeks ago, we got together and we just started praying together as a family. Um, Some of you may have brought these, already filled out. Others of you, Um, it's the first time seeing this. Here's the first thing you need to know. If, if this is your first Sunday here, uh, don't worry about this. If you're like, man, uh, this, is, this was my hang-up. Churches just want my money. Well, listen, no, we, we don't. Just relax. You can be here. This one's on us, okay? But if this is your church home, if you're here for, you know, a month or more, and you're like, this is really my church family, then, then for you, you should take this personally. You should take the, the, the season that we're in as a church personally. And, and I know I do because I just see such an opportunity before us. And so here's what we have is we realized last year that, that uh, we were beginning to run out of space. And um, we began uh, praying about together uh, what to do next. And we, we gave you an opportunity to give to that. And so last year we did eight months where our church stepped out and, uh, and gave towards what's called our ACF Next Step program. And so because of your generosity, and I am so proud of our church, because of you, This spring, we're actually going to take a step forward and expand our facility. We're going to start on the back of our building by reworking all of our electrical, mechanical. We're doing a new children's entrance. It's going to be reworking and making more space in our kids' area downstairs, which I don't know if you know, there was like 230 children just at 11 a.m. service last week or a couple weeks ago. I mean, that's ridiculous. Imagine 230 kids downstairs. So hug a kids' worker today, would you? Just (laughs) hug them. Long and awkward. Just hug them because they are serving your kids. So, I mean, we realized there was a need, and you guys stepped up. And so because of that, we're able to move into phase one of this expansion. But here's the thing. Uh, we can't stop there because uh, we need to actually do something up here too. And so uh, we have set a goal um, as, a, as a leadership team um, to be able to take another step beyond this to raise $1 million. And, uh, you know, some of you, it's, once again, it's like this sounds like a lot of money, but you need to understand our church has grown a lot. We have about 1,200 people show up to our church every week. Um, And at this point, the the problem is just room. The problem is just seats. And um, to me, once again, I take that personally. And so um, here's what I just want you to do. If you haven't prayed about this, you can take this home and just pray some more about it. Um, But today is the day that we set to start eight months of us raising some finances so that we can take another step. So we believe that this back expansion is just the beginning of what we want to work as a new expansion on the, this, this sanctuary with a new lobby. And um, you guys just need to know, we could care less about buildings. <laughs> like, look at our building. We could care less about buildings. This is about making space for those who are yet to come. This really is about people. And so we want to continue making space for people. And so that means us investing in. Um, I've already heard some amazing stories of so many of you. Uh, we've already seen people step out in generosity. We started doing some, some land work this last summer to, to make room in the parking, and somebody donated all of that. We've had people start putting in carpet downstairs, donating all of that. We've had people uh, get second jobs, start businesses. Um, we've had people take out their retirement. We've had people do some pretty amazing things already to get us to where we are. But once again, this is our time, church. And so I want to invite you to pray about this and consider what will you do to remove barriers? What will you do to make space for those who are yet to come so that people can hear the gospel? And so that's what we're about. And uh, today during worship, I want to just invite you up. If you've um, prayed through this and know what um, you'd like to give, you can, you can come up during worship and put it in one of these buckets in each side of uh, the stage. And then here's something that I didn't really plan, but I think is kind of cool, is that right next to it is communion. And if you don't know about the journey of ACF Church, we've done communion on Sunday morning every week for years. Um, This is just part of our liturgy because we want to remember the the blood and the body of Christ. What has been paid for us? And so I actually feel like it's a really powerful image that we would put our card in and say, God, listen, everything I have comes from you. I'm going to generously be a part of this thing. And then the next thing we do is we receive the symbol of, of Christ's body and blood broken and poured out, spilled for our sins. And so I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful connection, and we're going to do this together today. And uh, on there is just simply the first thing, Jesus has given me this. Just, this all flows from how much of God's blessing has been poured out on our lives. You can just write, Jesus has given me grace. He's given me a family. He's given me a church. You, we all have something to be grateful for. And then if you're not tithing in any way, we'd encourage you just to, to pray about starting with that. That's the first thing. It's just can you support local ministry consistently? And then on top of that, if, if God is calling you to some degree to support ACF Next Step, that you would write that number in. You've got eight months to bring it in, okay? You can, you can kind of span it out. If you're like, this is a big number, can't do this right now, you can span it out over eight months. And uh, anyway, that's kind of the end of my commercial. I hope you don't just hear me trying to sell you something. I hope you hear the vision behind this, that God is doing cool stuff, and we want to we wanna remove barriers so that people can continue to hear about him. Can we pray together? Jesus, thank you so much for your grace on us. Thank you so much that you have uh, given us so many blessings. And in this month of November, God, it is just a great chance to slow down and be thankful for some things. And so I want to pray for the person in the room here today who has struggled with gratitude, who's struggled to see how much they have been given. God, that you would impress upon their hearts how generous you've first been to them. God, you give us grace, and you've welcomed us in. We broke the relationship when we did it wrong. God, you reached out your hand and you welcomed us. You turned us from outsiders into insiders, God, from those who were fractured from your family to those who were part of your family, from those who had, God, no right to be at the table to those welcomed with a chair at the table. So Jesus, we thank you for your grace. And God, I pray for our church and I pray for for those who are yet to come. All the names written on the piece of drywall in the lobby, God, those people who we've been praying for. Parents, family members and spouses, brothers and sisters, people who desperately need to experience your grace. God, we pray that you would do things and move in hearts in ways that we can't. But God, would you help us to be available? Help us to be generous in giving the way that you've been generous to us. And God, may we be the kind of people who welcome others in the way that you have welcomed us per- first.
1: We pray mm-hmm. in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.